Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. But we're going to be in Romans chapter 5 here today. Now let me just kind of catch all of us up so we're all on the same page, okay, in the room. Whether you came here for the very first time today or you've been with us from the very beginning, I want to catch you up so that we're all on the same page starting off with Romans 5 here today. So Paul is the author of Romans. He wrote about a third of your New Testament. I'm convinced that Paul is one of the most intelligent, brightest individuals to ever walk the planet. He studied under a guy named Gamaliel in the first century. I don't know who that guy is, Pastor. He he was the premier rabbi of his time. Paul's education is like getting an Oxford or Harvard degree. That's, that's what Paul got, okay? So he's incredibly intelligent. Uh, he wrote a third of the New Testament, and he writes this letter to Romans. Now, what makes Romans different than all the other letters is that Paul writes to people he hadn't met yet. So, like, you know, in Ephesus, he, he, he helped start the church. So when he writes to the Ephesians, he already has familiarity there. Titus, Timothy, they're protégés of his. He's writing personal letters to these guys that he knows. But he doesn't know the Roman church. He hasn't been there yet. That's what makes it kind of unique and a little bit different. And so he writes to the church in Rome, and, and these churches in Rome are not like what we have today, where you walk in, we're all in one big place, and we're the Roman church. It wasn't like that. Although you would get together in large gatherings, and then you would break up into other groups, and you would go to each other's houses, and you would have a meal, and pray, and talk about you know scripture, and your life, and faith, and that kind of thing. And you, know, you say, Pastor, that sounds kind of like um, you know, a, a small group. Well, that's because it is. <laughs> I, I was a youth pastor years ago in Nashville. We're at a church that was transitioning away from Sunday school to, to groups. And I remember some, uh, an individual coming up to me and saying, you know, I'm not sure I'm on board with moving away from Sunday school into a group. This is this new trendy thing. You know, you all you pastors like to try new trendy stuff. And I thought, this is, this is not new, nor is it trendy. It's been around since the first century. People got together in groups, and they did what? They pray together, they talk about Scripture, and they grow. We're not reinventing the wheel here, okay? And so that's what they would do. And so Paul would write this letter, and in their group, they would read the letter and pass it to the next group. And then they would read it, and then pass it to the next group. And that's kind of how those letters would circulate. Now, when Paul writes Romans, he's thinking uh, right off the bat that, hey, when I write this letter, I got a couple of objectives in mind. Number one, I want to establish repertoire because I want to go to Spain. That's where he really wants to go. I want to go to Spain, and I'm going to stop in Rome along the way, and I need some help here. But number two, he's writing to these guys because he wants them to know how to live out their faith. Hey, I want to equip you to live out your faith in a world that's wild and crazy. And if you understand Rome, Roman history. It, it was not prim and proper. It was a wild place. And so Paul is writing these guys about how they can live their faith out. Most of these readers are Jewish believers, by the way. They're Jewish Christians. A lot of the believers in this era are, are Jewish by nature. There are Gentile or non-Jewish believers for sure, and they're, they're coming to know Christ very quickly in the time period. But there's a lot of Jewish believers. That's primarily the folks who are going to be reading these letters. Romans 1 through Three, the first three chapters are going to focus heavily on religion versus relationship. 
that dichotomy. Paul wants his readers to understand that, hey, if you're going to live out your faith, you have to do it in relationship with Christ. You can't work your way. You can't earn your way. You can't obey your way into God's kingdom. You have to have relationship. And to kind of show what he's talking about in chapter 4, he brings in the, the granddaddy of them all, the patriarch of patriarchs. He brings in Abraham in chapter 4. This is where a shift kind of begins to occur. And in chapter 4, he wants you to see that, listen, it was Abraham's faith, not his obedience. It was his faith that God credits as righteousness. So he didn't keep the law. There wasn't a law to keep. And it wasn't about simply obeying God and what God's word said. It was the heart. It was the faith that he had that God recognized as righteous. This idea of saving faith is not a gospel thing or New Testament thing. It's a Bible thing. It's a Jesus thing. It's a God thing. It goes all the way back to Genesis with Abraham. Saving faith starts here where his faith is credited as righteousness by God. So chapter 4 is transitional and this new focus begins to come into play as we get into chapter 5. Now we're not going to move away from topics like religion versus relationship or Jewish and Gentile believer conflicts. Okay? They weren't violent or anything like that. It's just that Gentile Christians were like, hey, we're, we're going to eat food that you know, is not, as you would say, kosher, right? Like, we're not going to do that. Uh, we're, we're not going to get circumcised. Those well, for the Jewish believers, that was wild. Why would you do that? It caused all kinds of issues. And so we're not going to get away from that. Paul's going to touch those things uh, later in the letter. We're kind of taking a little bit of a break from that right now. In fact, what Paul's going to do is he's going to introduce an entire new section. And there's a word at the very beginning of chapter 5 that you should, you should pay attention to. And Paul has this word that says, therefore, at the start of the passage. Therefore, I said, Pastor, therefore, what, why is that important? Well, therefore means this. Everything which precedes it is going to get talked about. So all of chapter 1 through 3 and then 4, we're going to tie it all together, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about what to do next as a result of that. And so Paul puts that therefore in the beginning of chapter 5. Faith is the focus of chapters 1 through 4. But now Paul assumes you as the reader understand that everything he's going to talk about in chapters 5 through 8. That's the next section we'll cover here. That chapters 5 through 8, everything will require faith. He's assuming you understand that already because you've read the first four chapters. But now everything from here on out is going to require faith. He'll use words like life and live over two dozen times as he focuses on this question. If you take notes, you want to write this down because this question is important. This is the premier question that Paul will answer in chapters 5 through 8. What does it mean to live for Christ? What does it mean to live for Jesus? People are asking that in our world today, aren't they? What does it mean to live for Christ? That is the pinnacle question in this next section that Paul's going to ask. Living for Christ is not, not easy, by the way, right? It's difficult to live your faith out. Um, I just wonder this morning while you're here, can, can you reflect on just some different seasons in your life right now where, you know, God did something which was absolutely amazing. Now, most of us in the room could probably say that. We could probably look back and say, man, I, I can, I can say, yeah, that right there and this right here and God did some great stuff there and we, we, we can do that. But did you recognize it as it was happening? 
Now, that's a whole different scenario, right? Because most of the time, I don't think we recognize when God's doing incredible things in our lives. Hindsight, as they say, is 2020, isn't it? Hindsight's a great gift from God. In hindsight, we, we can look back and, and, and we can see what God was doing. But, you know, the thing is, 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 is while, while it's happening, we don't recognize it. But when we look back, we see that, you know, you know what? God was at work inside of me. God was at work, you know, within me, around me. God really was with me through what I was walking through. God's always doing something brand new. Notice in Scripture, you never hear a phrase like, hey, behold, I'm going to bring back the old. <laughs> hey, I'm going to do something that's kind of the same. No, God's constantly saying things like, I'm going to do a new thing. New wineskins, right? All those types of everything. It's new. God's always doing something new. He has a way of working in the midst of pain and struggle. Um, so how is God working in your life? How is God working in your life right now, today? Start of 2024, how's it, how, how's it going? Think about that as we kind of work through the first part of Romans chapter 5, and we kind of dip our toes, and we're only dipping it in today, into this question of what does it mean to live for Christ? Romans chapter 5, verse number 1. Paul says this, Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, now, this phrase made right or justified, depending on what translation you're using, it's a legal phrase. You've been made right, not because of your works. It's not because you earned your way, you obeyed enough, you memorized enough scripture. You're not made right because your parents were believers. You're not made right because you followed all the things you didn't know. You're made right because of one thing and one thing only. It is your faith. It's your faith in God that makes you right with him. So because of that, Paul says we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Let me stop here for a moment. Can I just say this? Because maybe you're here today and you're struggling. I always feel there's at least one person who struggles with this. Can I just say that God is not angry at you? God's not angry at you. God is not on his throne, the edge of his seat, lightning in his hand like Zeus, waiting. Do it. Just do it. Do it now. Because I'm going to like, that's, that's not God. He's not angry. He's not mad. He's not upset with you. There's a time for judgment, but it comes later. It's not today, right? So when you say yes to Christ, you're, you're, you're good with the Lord. You've, you, you've made your decision to follow Christ. Your faith has, has done the work, and you're right with God. You're on the same page. There's no peace treaty that comes with addendums in in, in attachments to it. It's just faith in Jesus to get your real peace today. And that faith in Christ, it is exclusive, right? We're not going to shy away from that. It is exclusive, but you're not an exclusive member. This is very important. It is exclusive because God says that faith can only come through Jesus and what he's done for us and on the cross. It doesn't come from what you can do. It comes from what he's already done. But it's inclusive in this sense that everybody is invited to be a part of God's kingdom. We're all invited to be a part of the family of God. And he desires for everybody to be a part of his kingdom as well. So in that sense, it is very inclusive. Look at verse number two. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look at forward to sharing in God's glory. 
So what is undeserved privilege? What's that phrase? That phrase is grace. That's what, he's talking about grace here, okay? Now, grace is not God winking at your failures. Hey, I, I see what you did, okay? I, I got you covered there. Don't worry about that. Hey, you did this thing over here, but we're, hey, we're good. You and I are good. I've covered that. You're fine. It's not this blank check to live your life how you want to live, okay? And saying, well, God's got me and, and he's good. No, that, that's not what grace is. Grace is the power of God given by the Spirit of of God, okay, to live for Him. It doesn't excuse our sin, all right? It, it doesn't deal with the back end of sin either. That's what mercy is. Mercy deals with the back end of sin. And so what does that mean? It means this, that when you do something that violates God's standards, and when you sin, God does not exact the judgment or punishment you deserve. You know, you ever heard the phrase, you throw yourself in the mercy of the court, right? Well, we're doing that when, when, when we have to go to God for forgiveness. And because Christ died for us and because Christ rose again for us, that mercy is available where God says, hey, you've said yes to Christ. You have a walk in relationship with him. You have faith. You're saved. You're made right. Therefore, you don't get the punishment you deserve. That's mercy. Grace is the power to live for God to overcome sin. Doesn't make you perfect. You're going to have moments where you slip up. But it's the power of God to live for God. It deals with the front end. All right? Now, what does this mean for, to, as far as living for Christ goes? It means that we live in God's grace and His power to overcome sin. But we're still in this world. And we, we do still mess up. And so what happens? Suffering still comes. Hardship still comes. That's life, right? That's life. What we're about to find out in the next few verses is this. That even in our suffering, God's still at work. That God is working in our suffering. God is working in our suffering. Look at verse number three. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Notice Paul doesn't say, like, we rejoice that we're suffering. No one rejoices when they suffer. It's like, you know, no one's excited when they go through hard times. If you are, you should, you should get help a little, maybe. Let's just get some counseling there because no one likes to suffer, okay? What should we do when we suffer? We should view them as opportunities. That's the rejoicing. It's an opportunity for God. I'm viewing it as an opportunity. Hardship, though, doesn't feel like an opportunity, does it? You know, like we'll complain and we'll vent and we'll wish for better times. And, you know, man, if I had just made that choice differently, like hindsight does that to us. Well, imagine if we made better choices. If I had just gone this way instead or, you know, not allowed that person into my life. Or if I had just made this choice over here and we regret the choices we made because we're suffering and things are difficult for us. But every hardship, listen to me, because some of you in the room, you're going through it right now. Listen to me very carefully. Every hardship. Everyone is an opportunity because there are some things that God cannot teach you without the suffering. Now, we don't ever want to hear that. But it's true. There are some things that God cannot work in your life, that God cannot bring about, that God cannot change, that God cannot do without you suffering. 
See, all of life is, is, is full of valleys. You are either going into a valley or you're coming out of a valley. It's, it's, it's always one or the other, right? And as you come out, you climb the mountaintops, right? And then once you get on the mountaintop, you see everything and you kind of jump into the valley again. By the way, you ever noticed, you think of mountaintops, how the higher up you go, you know, the, the views are spectacular, right? They're extraordinary. They're wonderful. But you notice that the higher you go and the higher elevation you climb, there's, there's, less, there's less life, right? Not as much animal life, not as much trees and vegetation. And, you know, the Appalachians, not quite the same. But if you've ever been to the Rocky Mountains, right, or flown over the Rocky Mountains, you know because you've seen it. Those mountaintops, breathtaking views, nothing lives there, though, right? <laughs> nothing stays there. Mountaintops are not meant to support life. They're not meant for you to stay. Valleys are full of it. The valley is where the rich soil is, where the water is, it's where life is at. Now, I say all that to say this this morning. For you to stay on a mountaintop experience, hey, life is good, I like where I'm at, I'm winning, let's stay here. That is to try to escape all the other things that God wants to do in and through you. That, that, that is to try to avoid living the life that God has for you. Why? Because God has never meant for you to stay on the mountaintop. God has every intent of bringing you back through the valley because it's in the valley where you have life. It's in the valley where you have, yes, yeah, struggle and pain, but also joy and happiness and peace and love. It's the valley, man, where life happens. So this morning, if you find yourself struggling today, understand, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for God to work in your life. Paul sounds a lot like James here, doesn't he? You know, James talks about how you know, endurance and struggles and perseverance are opportunities. It's the same kind of thing. It's an opportunity for us to grow and be confident in the hope we have of Christ. The psalmist puts it like this, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you, God, right? You are with me. God is with you in the valley. He did not cause your suffering. I want to say that again. God didn't cause your suffering. But God will use your suffering. Okay? I get asked this question a lot from folks. Well, how, a pastor, how come God allows you know, bad things to happen to good people? Here, here, here's the thing. I don't think God makes bad things happen, but God does allow them to occur. Okay? See the story of Job. Great, great example of this. He allows things like that to occur. But what he does is he uses that suffering and hardship to build you up and make you stronger. I know I don't look it, but uh, back in my day, I did a little weightlifting. I'm just, just, just throwing that out there. I had some muscle, and it wasn't all right here. It was actually kind of up here, too. It was good. I was never a heavy weightlifter. I, I couldn't bench press very much, but I was a long-distance runner, so I could leg press something fierce. Let me tell you, my legs were strong, buddy. And, uh, you know, here's the thing about, about weightlifting. Uh, you add the plates, right? And you're adding plates onto the bar and the press, and... and, and Every time you add a plate, oh man, like it's tough. Like you can feel the burn, you, can, you gotta push through it, you know. But what's happening as you're adding those plates is the muscle 
is being formed. The fat is getting rid of, it's, it's transforming even into this, into this strong muscle. You're building up muscle, and before you know it, you know, hey, I, I, was, I was benching 150 pounds, and it was a struggle. Well, now I'm doing 175, and now I'm doing 220. Now I'm doing, you know, 250. I can, look at that. You didn't start off doing it like that, though. You worked your way up to it. Can I just tell you, that's the way suffering works. In your suffering, in your hardship, man, God's just building you stronger. Making this, why? Because he knows that down the road, what you're dealing with right now at, you know, 20 years old is preparing you for what you'll deal with when you're 45 years old or 60 years old. What you're dealing with right now with your employer, and that's the struggle, is just getting you ready for when you have your own business. Like, you know, God is preparing you for things down the road. He's building you up and getting you stronger in the process, okay? So God is at work in your suffering. He's building you up. Making you stronger, developing you into the person who's calling you to be. Um, but he's also at work among ungodly people as well. God is at work among ungodly people as well. He's at work in our suffering, and he's at work among those who are far from God. Maybe you haven't thought about that here today. Perhaps you haven't thought about that. But God is at work among those who are not even following him yet. And can I just take a few moments to throw this out there? And I want to make this pretty clear to our guys. This is especially for our guys who call Radiant Church home. I will tell you this this morning. If you don't have a heart for people who are far from God, you are missing out. Not just on a little bit. or part, You're missing out on the entirety of the heart of Jesus Christ. You're missing out on the heart of the gospel. You know, Jesus came to do what? To seek and save that which was lost. We need to have a heart for folks who are far from God. If you're all about rules and religion, if, if you're about having people conform to your idea of what a Christian is, you're missing out on the heart of Jesus. Just because you grew up in church, just because you know how to pray, you know the stories and quote scripture, all the kind of, doesn't, doesn't really make you a follower of Jesus, right? It doesn't make you a Christian, we know that. Your heart has to belong to him. And as it belongs to him, he begins to change you. He begins to work within you. He changes you from the inside out. He transforms you. You begin to see people as he sees them. You begin to love people as he loves them. If you don't have a heart for people who are not yet right with God, I will just, I'm telling you, as your pastor, your heart is not where it should be here today. And you should ask the Lord, Father, I need you to do some work on me. I need you to change me a little bit. Because I, I want that heart for those who are not here yet, who are not followers of you yet. It's easy to forget where you were. It's easy to forget who you were before Christ found you. The longer you're a Christian, the more danger you fall into that. Sometimes it helps to have that reminder. It's especially true when you find yourself becoming critical about somebody who might be new in their faith or might be exploring some things right now and you have some critical things you kind of lash out and you forget that you were there. One of the things I find about Christians is this. The longer they're a Christian, the more they forget. It took them you know, 10, 15, 20 years to get where they are and they get critical of somebody because in the matter of a couple years they haven't, they haven't caught up yet. You can't be short-sighted like that. Verse number six. Paul says when we were utterly helpless... Christ came at just the right time. He didn't come early. He didn't come late. God's timing is always at the right time. 
I know we wish that God's timing could kind of match our own, but that's not how it works. God's timing is always right at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. Us sinners. By the way, we're all in that camp. Christ did not die for church folk. He died for all of us who are far from God. We're all sinners in need of a Savior, right? He came to do that for all of us. Now, most people, Paul says, would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed, look at this verse right here, but God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Before you cared about God, before you were thought, before you even... Yeah, God cared about you. God loved you, and He did what He did for you. God is at work among those who have yet to say yes to Him. His heart is bent towards them. He loved us first. God loved us when we were unlovable. And the exclusive truth here is that anybody can come to God. But you have to do it through Christ. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And you, you may have given up hope that a, a friend or a family member or a co-worker or a neighbor will come to know Christ. Can I tell you that Christ has not given up on them? He's still pursuing them. He still has his arms open for them. The invitation to be a part of his kingdom is still there for them. I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I'll continue to say it again. I don't believe that church exists for those who are saved. Radiant Church does not exist. We're not a church for those who are Christians. Why? Because we believe that we are the church. Church is not a building, not an institution. It, it, is, it is the people of God. We are the church. That's, that's who we are. And we have what a mission. A mission. It's called the Great Commission. Matthew 20. What are we supposed to do? Well, our, our directive is this. Christ says, go and make disciples. Well, the first step of making disciples is to do what? Share your faith. I'm sharing my faith with somebody. I'm sharing my story of how God changed me. I'm sharing my story of what God did for me. I'm, 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 I'm reaching out to somebody. And eventually... Hey, we're praying for them, and they, they might come to know the Lord. And once they come to know the Lord, what are we doing now? Now we're going to show them what it means to live for Christ. We're going to disciple them, right? Go make disciples. We're going to disciple them. Baptize them, right? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our mission. That's our mission. That's what we're to do. We are to reach folks who are far from God and disciple them and help them grow in their faith so they can do what? They can go out and reach other people who are far from God and do the exact same thing. So what does that mean for us as a church? Well, for us as a church, it means that we're just we're really simple at Radiant Church. We, we will not be the church that has craft bazaars and a hundred programs that just keep you busy all the time. Why? Because if you're always busy doing church stuff, who are you reaching outside these walls? If you're always here in your spare time, what difference are you making? We keep it simple because we believe this. When you leave this place, you are heading to your assignment. Your workplace, your neighborhood, your school, wherever you're at. And you are the light of Christ. It is up to you to reach the people that you work with and live with and go to school with. We want you doing that. That's important. Why? Because time's short. You never know how long someone has. You never know how long we have before Christ returns. So we want to send you out. And make sure that you're living for the Lord, reaching those that we could never reach. We're not with those people, but you are. God may have them in your life just for this season, simply for you, to share your heart with them about what it means to follow Christ.
That also means this. We don't expect you to have it all together. Most of us here don't. I'm, I'm a pastor, and I can tell you right now, I do not have it all together. I have moments where I'm, I'm just, I had one this morning. <laughs> just, I felt fake this morning. I got frustrated because I'm trying to get out the door, and my kids had a weird morning. Things aren't going so hot, and I didn't lose my cool. I, just, I, was, I was just a little snappy, and I wish I wasn't that way. I don't have it all together. I'm just like you. We have those moments. But here's what we do want. We want you to experience Christ. We want you to know your creator. We want you to, to, to understand there's a God who loves you and can forgive you and who cares for you. Debated whether to share this or not, but I'm, I'm going to do it real quick. Had an individual come to our church uh, last year. And, and, and they came, and they were kind of standoffish a little bit. You know, and people are standoffish. I just kind of smile, and like, hey, you know, but I don't, I don't, like, I don't, I don't get in your face. I mean, there's a reason you're that way. But this person, I was just kind of drawn to a little bit. And, and I'm like, all right, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna needle around a little bit and just try to do some small talk. And, uh, and they left, and, and I remember talking to Shannon later. I was like, I, just, I don't know about that individual. You know, I just kind of have a weird feeling about them. Um, you know, but they were a little standoffish, a little cold, and I mean, that's okay. It's, maybe this is not for them. We're not the church for everybody. We get that. And then I find out later on, this person has gone to a, a, a multitude of churches uh, in the area and has struggled. It, it wasn't that they were standoffish because of anything we did. It's because their experience with churches has been, has been difficult. They have a different sexual orientation they identify as, Okay. And when churches find that out, they get, they, they get removed. They get kicked out. No one wants them. So they were invited by somebody to be a part of this church, and they came, and they had that hurt and that baggage they carried with them, see? And when I found that out, my heart sank. Why? Because I don't think that's the heart of God. I know we're in a culture right now and everything seems divisive and ah, we're in a dadgum election. Can I say that word? I'm sorry. We're in election year this year. I'm going to go off script my notes for a second. And this may not make the recording. We'll see. We're in election year this year. And you guys, and myself included, because it's an election year, we're all going to have opinions. Please, I'm begging you as your pastor, please do not let your political preference cloud your heart for people. Don't take your cultural position and exclude people. because Please don't do that. This year will come and go, but eternity is forever. So I want those individuals who might identify differently, I, you know, we don't condone sin here. I've been very clear about that. You want to know where we stand on this kind of stuff? I, we got a great message last September called God's Design for Sexuality. Go online and watch it and listen to it, okay? Like, we, we don't condone it. We have a, we have, but here's the thing. We welcome people here who have that issue. Why? Because of this. I believe, maybe it's, naive to, maybe it's being naive, but I, I believe this. But even if they're struggling with those issues, God can set them free. God can change them. Not with you getting in their face. Not with you yelling and screaming. Not with you condoning. Nope, nope, nope. Not you. It's not up to you to change people. But the Spirit of God will be at work. And the heart of God 
will change that person. I hope that individual comes back. I hope more like them come back as well. Why? Because Jesus came not for the healthy. He came for the sick. God's at work in our suffering. He's at work among ungodly folks. Finally this, here's the last thing our passage shows today, that God is at work saving people. He's at work saving people. Verse number nine. Since we've been made right with God and his sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we're still his enemies, we will certainly be saved in the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Uh, I just want to go back to verse 1 for a moment. Notice that Paul says the same kind of thing here in verse 9. We're made right. We're justified in God's sight. By what? By the blood of Christ. We're made right because of what Christ did for us. But we're also made right because we've placed faith in what he did for us as well. So here's where I'm going with this. For you theologians out there who dabble with this kind of stuff, verse number 9 is very, very important because it's a marriage of two competing ideas. Now, some of you in the room know where I'm going with this. Some of you don't, so we'll kind of catch everybody in the same page here. Within Christian circles, for those who dabble in theology and, and are well versed with that, there are two competing viewpoints about, about how God saves people. Does God decide beforehand who will come to know Him? Because He knows everything, right? He's God. Or, do people choose on their own free wills, we will say, to come to know Christ? Which one is it? I happen to believe it is foolish to take a position on that. Now, you, you may disagree with me. Okay? But I think you shouldn't be dogmatic. Why? I'm going to share with you this principle. I'm going to call it the, the, the tension principle. Okay? The Bible is not as black and white as you think it is. It's a lot of gray. And there's a lot of tension. And where there is tension, you know what you do? You leave it alone. There's a reason. You can make several arguments for or against either position here. And you can use Scripture for both arguments. And you can be right and wrong. And both. You know why that's the case? Because the Bible is not abundantly clear. It, there's a tension in place. And we leave the tension alone. So here's what I'm going to say about this. It is both ends. And I'm being very, like, it really, it really is. It is both and. We are justified, yes, because God did the heavy lifting. You didn't die on the cross. He did. It's all because of Jesus. So everything God did, it's all on him. So we're justified because God did all of the work. We can't save ourselves. <clears throat> Yet, this justification is an act of faith that you have to activate on your own. It's an act of faith on my part. God does the work, and then I respond in faith. They're working together. It's a great marriage, really, of two competing viewpoints right here. And this result of this faith means we have relationship with God. The work has been done already, and now God invites all of us to be part of his kingdom. He knows everything. I mean, you can't keep any part of your life hidden. God knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows the thoughts you wish never had in your mind. He knows your biggest fears and insecurities. Don't matter. God still invites you to be part of this kingdom. And if God can repair and restore a relationship with us as sinners, people who are far from God, people who, if he can restore those relationships, man, boy, couldn't God restore all kinds of relationships. Couldn't God save all kinds of people? I had a guy at the last church I was, I was at. 
He killed a man. And he spent, I think, almost 30 years in prison for it. But God saved him. And God repaired his life. And I thought, my goodness, if this individual can, can see the forgiveness and mercy and grace that God offers, I think all of us can. If God can repair that, what, God, what can God not do? Hey, by the way, if you're in here this morning, your marriage is struggling, God can repair your marriage now. He can repair that. He can restore that marriage that, that you're dealing with. You don't got to give in to irreconcilable differences, which is a catch-all phrase. God can restore it. If your relationship with your kids is severed or frayed, God can repair that. If you have a friendship which has meant much to you but is now on the rocks, God can repair that as well. Just don't discount the power of God to repair and restore relationship and to heal and save individuals. The reason God is at work in our suffering and among those who are ungodly, the reason He's still saving people today is simply this. God desires relationship with you and with me. And you have to ask today, I just got to do it. Like, how is your relationship with God? Like, how, how, how is it? Hey, Pastor, our relationship with God's fine. It's good. It's okay. No, like, how, how, how is it like, how's it really going? How's, how is it for real? See, because Jesus says this. He says, hey, one day, and Z, come on up, man. He says, one day people are going to stand before me and they're going to say stuff like, hey, Jesus, hey, did you remember that one time I prayed for this guy over here and then he gave his life to you? And remember that I prayed for this person over there and they got healed. Isn't that, isn't that great? Hey, do you remember that time, man, that I, I, I served? I served in my church, Jesus, and I gave too. Isn't that cool? I, I sacrificed my giving, I, my, my time to serve, and I did all these things. Isn't that great? I want this other time, man. This crazy dude came in, and he, we, 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 we and some guys got around him, and we prayed for him, and man, he was possessed, but then he was free. And man, isn't that really cool? Jesus, you see all that stuff? Look at all the things I did for you. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to say... I don't know you. Wait a minute, I did all this stuff. Well, that, that, see, that, that, that is the problem right there, see? God has not asked you to do anything. It's not about what you do for God. Understand this morning, this is important. Does he know you? And when he says, I don't know you, it's not like I haven't heard of you or don't know what you've done. Or, no, no, no. It's no as in a husband knows his wife, as a parent knows their child. It's an intimate relationship that nobody could quite understand. Outside. It's that kind of relationship. Does God know you in that way? Do you know God that way? That's what it's going to come down to. And you can stack up all the things that you've done. That's a big fear I have as a preacher sometimes. Hey, I'll preach the gospel. That's pretty good. But that doesn't, that doesn't add up either. It's about relationship. Some of you guys this morning, man, like you've, you've, you're in here and you're like, yeah, I, I, I said the prayer. I got my get out of hell free card. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And God has so much more for you than that kind of life life that he has for you is not limited to, I said the prayer, I can come to church, I can go home and do, he has got so much more he wants to do in and through you besides that. He wants real, genuine intimacy with you. He wants you to walk with him. He wants to know you. And so the question is, is how is your relationship with God today?
How's your prayer life going? How's your time in God's Word? How's your accountability with other people? That's a pretty big one, right? See, we can believe in all the right things about God. James says it pretty best, I think. He's like, hey, you believe in one God? Oh, man, that's real impressive. So are the demons, and they, they shudder too, right? Like, it's, it's not just about believing the right things. It's about having a relationship with your Lord. Start this year off right. If you're in here this morning and you're not sure where you're at, start this year off right. Let God move in your life, man. Make sure that relationship with the Lord is strong. If you don't have a relationship with God, then, then, then we can fix that here today. Because we'll help you get started on the right foot. Bow your heads, close your eyes if you would this morning. Perhaps you're here. You say, Pastor, if I'm honest with you, my relationship with God is either non-existent because you're just honest. You're like, man, I don't, I don't actually have it. Or perhaps you're here and you know, you know, it's it's not so good because I'm caught up in the things I'm doing for God. I'm not really caught up. I don't really know God like you talked about. You know, and that genuine. I don't know God like that, but I want to. And here's what we're gonna do. I'm going to say a prayer. It's a model prayer, okay? Meaning, I'll say it, and then you can say it too. You don't have to do it out loud if you don't want to. But you say it in your own words. It comes from the heart. We're going to ask for Christ to become our Savior first. And then we're going to ask Him to become our Lord. Because the relationship has to start off with us having Christ come in to save us from our sins and then becoming Lord of our lives. We have to surrender ourselves over to Him. And so it's going to go like this. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for the wrong that I've done. I've violated your standards. I've gone against your will. And, and I'm here today to say, Lord, I, I, I need you. I recognize today I can't save myself. I'm, I, I've, I need forgiveness that can only come from you. So I'm asking here this morning, will you, Jesus, please forgive me for my sins? Will you be the Lord and Savior of my life? I can't save myself. I need you. Give me a new start. Reset things for me. But I'm recognizing today that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Will you save me? And from this day forward, I'm, I'm going to commit myself to following you. So will you be the Lord of my life? I've lived my own way. I've done my own thing. Doesn't work out too well. I've seen where it goes. So today, I'm telling you, Jesus, that I'm going to surrender my life to you. I surrender to you. Will you lead me and guide me? Will you take me where I need to go and do with me what you need to do? But I want to make it real clear today that from this day forward, I will do all that I can to follow you with all my heart and allow you to lead me in my life as my Lord. Thank you for being my Lord and my Savior today. Lord, for those of us in the room who are believers and, and our relationship with you is already, it's, it's good and we're fine and this, this doesn't pertain to us. Father, I pray that our hearts would continue 
to, to be in alignment with you. May we continue, God, to move in lockstep with you and who you are. As we enter into this new year, this 2024, Jesus, I pray that our heart for you would exceed where it's been before. May we have a, a deep hunger for you and your word. May we have a heart for those who are far from you, God, who don't know you. And we pursue them, God, the same way you pursued us. May we not allow things that are temporary and of this world to overshadow what is eternal, to overshadow, God, the mission that you've left us as your people to reach and save those who are far from you. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be uh, in full alignment and in a position of surrender to you throughout this year. We love you. We praise you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.